Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. Prayer is not working. Every time we have a great national disaster, whether it's the shootings in El Paso or Dayton or Gilroy, California, or someplace like that. We hear more and more remarks and comments like that, some rational, some less so. One that comes up regularly whenever another tragedy happens is that praying about them is not enough. It is not working. God's not listening. So something must else must be tried. What that is, of course, depends upon the political beliefs of the speaker. Convinced the solution of legislation that they propose would be the best one to prevent such national tragedies in the future. What this indicates is there is a great misunderstanding of what prayer is. We persist in thinking that we pray in order to get things from God, get him to change his mind, vary his will, get him to give us something that we want or run the use in a manner that is particularly pleasing to us. If someone is sick, of course, we pray they may be well. If hungry, that they may be fed. If angry, calm. And yet the fact is that people die, go hungry, and remain angered with great regularity. And if that is how we judge what goes on when we pray, then you might be forgiven for thinking that prayer is not working. But the problem is not prayer, but the way in which we think about it and what we do when we pray. Public worship and personal prayer are the twin supports of the Christian life. All our growth will take place in context that they provide. And they are not the same thing, and they are not interchangeable. Coming to worship, which we're doing right now, is not a substitute for individual prayer. We do pray during worship, but we do other things as well. We sing, we learn, we offer. Worship is what we do as a group when we gather as the body of Christ. The prayer that is offered then is a united offering of prayer by the entire church. Personal prayer is just that, personal and individual. It is my own personal conversation with God, my own dialogue, in which only God and I are involved. In this kind of prayer, I will pray for others, but I do not pray with others. Jesus tells his own disciples, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Personal prayer is about our own private time with the Father, the personal attention that everyone needs. It does not replace worship any more than worship replaces prayer, but we need a personal relationship with a personal God. And becoming to know God is all what and what private prayer is all about. But why bother with the time? It takes time for other things, after all. Important things, playing video games, watching television, going shopping, all kinds of things. Can't we just say that we're committed to God, that we love Jesus, and throw up the occasional Our Father? Why do we need to talk to God? After all, we came to Mass this morning. Why doesn't that just cover it? Well, there are two answers that I think I can provide immediately. Number one, we pray as a response to love. 
And number two, we pray in order to love. In the first epistle of St. John, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is always the initiator. He is always the one taking the first step. We do not have to worry about getting in touch with him because he has already done this by sending his son, the eternal word, to die for us. He has loved us since the beginning, the primary lover of the creation and everyone and everything in it. So we pray in order to receive God's love, but also to express our response, our love, in return for his love and grace. God loved us first. And if we have received that love, our love in return, is genuinely we pray in order to say, I love you. Not just because we want things from you in order to come to know you, to learn your will, and then, having learned it, to do your will. This is what conversation is all about, knowing someone. You remember the first time you fell in love? You met someone who was more special to you than anyone else. You wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. And more than anything else, you wanted to talk to them more than anyone else, because speaking with them was how you came to know about them, and knowing about someone you think you love is essential. It isn't just about feelings when you love. In fact, it's very little about feelings, really. Because if you don't know much about the object of your love, you cannot establish a genuine relationship with them. The problem with too many relationships is that they're based upon feelings and attractions rather than on knowledge. If you don't find out until after you're married that the person you are with is a self-centered jerk, you're going to have some real problems. Prayer is not about developing warm feelings about God or about anyone about sharing with him what we are and learning about who and what he is. If you've been married 20 years and have never once taken out the garbage, it doesn't matter how often you tell your wife you love her. You don't. Love experienced on a deep level of reality and knowledge results in a conscious decision, therefore, to act towards someone in a caring and loving way and a further communication with that person. So God acts by sending the Son of his love, the eternal word, to us. This is the ultimate declaration of love. We respond to the sending of his word with our words in prayer. But praying is more than a response to God loving us. It's part of how we love him. Love breaks down the separation between people because we want to be one with the person that we love. If we really love God, we want to become one with him, to share life with him, not just to think about him, and so we pray in order to share with him. St. Demetri of Rostov once wrote, No unity with love is possible without an exceeding great love, because loving and joining go together. But to reemphasize something that I have already said, you cannot love someone that you do not know, and you cannot become one with them. You cannot really be in love with someone who is unknown to you. Genuine lovers, rather than romantics, 
are always discovering new things about those they love. And the more you know, the more you love them. Our relationship with God is like that. In order to love him, we must trustingly open ourselves to him, and he will open himself to us. We become one with God, who is our real lover. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, we read in the epistle of James. Now, he already knows about us. He did create us, after all. But he will open himself to us so that we may learn everything we can about him. Not everything that is possible to learn, that would be impossible. But all that we can possibly absorb, we can ask no more from any lover. Our love will express itself in a desire for union and knowledge. Prayer is the way in which we express our desire, our needs, and our wants. And the way that it can be achieved is in accordance with God's will. This, of course, is the important key factor in understanding how prayer, quote-unquote, works. The scripture tells us that if our requests are in accordance with God's will, they will be granted. God wants us to share our needs and desires with him because he loves us. Because he loves us, he may not respond in the way in which we want. In the book of Isaiah, God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We tend to assume that our thoughts, even when they are good, are therefore in accordance with God's will. This is not true. Our perspective is limited and often quite selfish. God's is eternal and unlimited. God has seen the entire history of creation in a single flash of insight, and therefore is the only one who knows the eternal consequences of what it means for someone to live, someone to die, or some action to take place. And before the creation of the world, he knew I would preach this sermon on this day. Only he knows if death now is better than death later. We pray for people to be healed, and they are not, and we are disappointed. We pray for them to be safe, and they become endangered, and we worry, and our faith suffers. This is only honest. Why not say so? Because God's will is so much more just than ours. Let me give you an example. Let us say that I'm diagnosed with pancreatic cancer or something of that form. And we all go into a massive prayer vigil that I would be healed. And over time and doctors and all the sort of stuff that you do to heal that, I actually am healed of the cancer. And we all rejoice and we're happy and we're grateful to God. And then I go completely off the rails. I deny my faith. I renounce my baptism. I leave the church. I cease to treat people with what little compassion and mercy I do even now. And then I die. What would my, my fate be having apostatized? Whether had I just accepted the death that would have come to me from the cancer if that could not have been healed? Which would be best for me and my salvation? Only God knows that. Only God knows the reality. And if we ask, for example, to be healed, we take upon ourselves, if we are, a tremendous burden to maintain that we maintain make certain that we maintain our lives in faithfulness and perseverance and love with God. This is not a question of prayer not working if I am not healed, but of God's eternal will working its way in the creation. That is hard for us to understand because we want what we want when we want it, 
we assume that if it doesn't happen, God either does not care or hear. He does both. But he also knows what is best for us and for our salvation. Remember St. Paul and the disease that he had. We don't know whether it was malaria or epilepsy. Scholars disagree about that. The fact is he prayed repeatedly. Three times he says he asked God to heal him of his disease. God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to be healed. This is also why we must pray fervently and persistently. God may test our faith as he did Job, to see if we are really committed to him or addicted to feelings and gifts. This can be a hard lesson for us to learn, but the fact that we wish for something does not come about, doesn't say anything at all about prayer, but about our limited understanding of God. A loving no still means no, and no is an answer to a request when someone who knows precisely what we need and when and if gives it as we grow in both understanding and maturity in our relationship with God. We should be able to see more and more of life through his eyes rather than through our own, own narrow vision. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.